So I've been working on my authorization service and it's totally sweet. It's only taken me six months to build it, just six months. I started implementing some basic RBAC library, but that wasn't enough, obviously. So I designed relationship-based fine-grained authorization for the highest security possible. And then to make it super fast, I used a GPU tower running in my mom's basement, of course, connected via optic cable to bare metal server at my local esports lounge, permissions, restrictions, and admin. Nailed it. Wait, 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 wait. Whatever you did sounds cool, but like there's also another option. Oh, really? Yeah, with permit.io. Permit is the full-stack authorization platform created so you never have to build permissions again. Build and manage permissions for any application with policy as code, APIs, developer-friendly SDKs, and user-facing UIs. Permit is an end-to-end authorization platform built on top of open-source policy engines. It's high-performing, gets decisions in less than 10 milliseconds, and uses a hybrid approach where config is in the cloud, but data and decisions are made locally. Not only is it intuitive, it lets you implement fully functional authorization in five minutes, not six months, and in the code base you prefer. Check out the link in the show notes or go to permit.io to learn more. That's P-E-R-M-I-T dot I-O. Sign up for Permit and stop rebuilding off. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools lack proper security, putting sensitive data at risk. With KiteWorks MFT, companies can send automated or ad hoc files in a fully integrated, highly secure manner. The solution is FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense and has been so since 2017. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. So our biggest initial hurdle was how do you take an internal technology and make it something that other people externally can use? And there's a lot of hurdles that go along with that. Like you've built in too much conjoined business logic and it's too attached to your internal databases. And now it needs to be able to connect to everyone's uh, databases. But that was the initial journey, proving it out across the clients that we had at that agency and then figuring out how do you take this and then make it available to any data team at any of those companies or other companies and not not really focusing so much on the marketing use cases specifically. My name is Blake Birch, and I'm the co-founder and CEO at Shipyard. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. It's six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labhart, and today, how Blake Birch is giving you the ability to move your data at superhuman speeds with your code or low code. This episode is sponsored by ClearQuery. ClearQuery is the analytics for humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. With Ask ClearQuery, you can find valuable insights into your data using plain English. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify your data analytics with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. 
Blake Birch grew up in Fort Worth, attending college at TCU. Prior to his current venture, he wasn't actually a tech person. He wanted to be a music professor, specifically in percussion. But eventually, he moved over to the tech world. And outside of tech, he plays board games and named one that I hadn't heard of called Terra Mystica. Previously at PMG, Blake and his company had built an internal tool called Forklift, moving data between data warehouses. As it started to grow, he and his current co-founder saw a lot of opportunity to expand the offering and make it a product of its own. This is the creation story of Shipyard. Shipyard is a data workflow platform that allows teams to be able to easily move and automate their data without necessarily having to have the technical skills that typically go along with that. My journey was running data teams at a digital advertising agency, and I just saw how difficult it was for a lot of people to be able to take that data and actually do something useful and actionable with it. And so part of the journey of building Shipyard was building out a lot of like templates that allow you to download data from a specific service and then upload it to some other service. So like a good example might be taking data from your warehouse that lives in Snowflake and then being able to send an email uh, from that or maybe being able to upload that data directly to Google Drive. Uh, whatever the like, source and destination is, um, we just help the ability to be able to set something up to deliver that data consistently in a super easy fashion. We actually spun out of some technology that we had at the digital advertising agency I was at. It was basically just a tool internally that because it was designed to move data, we called it forklift. It was moving data between warehouses and it was designed to really help accelerate my data team's ability to be able to deliver solutions for clients. If you ask my co-founder, Eric, who runs things on the technical side, it was really just a way for us to stop bugging him to like host scripts elsewhere. He just wanted to give us a platform where we could run any code we wanted to and automate it and get the job done. We were doing things like automating bids and budgets based on performance data, automating creations of ads based on promotion calendars. We were doing things like taking inventory data and turning things on and off based on availability. Those sort of solutions were ultimately what kind of grew the need of the platform more and more. And we saw that there was a larger opportunity outside of just the marketing space for data teams to be able to move, automate, and action on their data uh, in a very easy fashion. So we decided back in 2020 to split things off and actually spin that technology out to become what Shipyard is today. So our biggest initial hurdle was how do you take an internal technology and make it something that other people externally can use? And there's a lot of hurdles that go along with that. Like you've built in too much conjoined business logic and it's too attached to your internal databases. And now it needs to be able to connect to everyone's uh, databases. That was the initial journey, proving it out across the clients that we had at that agency and then figuring out how do you take this and then make it available to any data team at any of those companies or other companies and not really focusing so much on the marketing use cases specifically. So this will be interesting, giving you spun out of a product, but I'm curious about the MVP. How long did it take to build and what sort of tools were you using to bring it to life? The MVP is interesting for us because we spun things out where our MVP was just someone can log in, put their code in the platform and be able to 
run it consistently and make sure that they can get blocks for it. That's what our internal MVP was at PMG. Shifted when we're spinning things off into its own company, where MVP was, hey, can it do all the same baseline functionality, but can it do it without it being tied uh, specifically to our organization? It was trying to make sure that all of the feature set that we had was decoupled. And so anyone with any code from any organization with any database uh, could uh, accomplish the same sort of functionality. But the way that it started was just a way to be able to automate code. It was super technical at that time whenever we initially launched the product. So stay on the MVP for a minute. You've got to make certain decisions and trade-offs, you know, and how you build it, how you approach it, how you spun it out. And you're alluding to some of those at a high level, but dive into some of those for me, specifically, you know, how you coped with those decisions. So in the early days, we say that we're a workflow platform. We didn't have any sort of UI to be able to string together these workflows. Ultimately, it was just like a bunch of forms. I could say that I made this one task that does this very specific thing. And then, okay, now I have a drop down form that says I want to kick off this other task after this one finishes running. For our MVP state, we didn't have the luxury of making something that was really beautiful, easy to interface with. It was just a matter of trying to make sure that it was functional along the way. And so that was one trade-off that we had to make in the early days. Just if we wanted this to work, how could we make it work without being able to have some sort of simple drag-and-drop interface Another trade-off that we had to make in the MVP state is the base technology that we had gave people the ability to make templates that they could reuse in their own organization. And we knew what sort of things people could build initially, but for the MVP, we didn't have any of our existing templates that we have right now. It was just, okay, we're porting over the existing functionality. Someone can take their own code and turn it into a template if they want, but we're not able to provide them with anything out of the the gate, so they're going to be on their own to code. And again, that was just trying to make sure that we had the minimum viable functionality that was necessary to say, hey, you can take your code and get it running in an automated way and get those logs. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. This episode is sponsored by KiteWorks. Legacy managed file transfer tools are dated and lack the security that today's remote workforce demands. Companies that continue relying on outdated technology put their sensitive data at risk. And that's where KiteWorks comes in. KiteWorks MFT is absolutely the most secure MFT on the market today. 
It has been FedRAMP moderate authorized by the Department of Defense since 2017. Through FedRAMP, KiteWorks level of security compliance provides a fast route to CMMC compliance, saving customers time, effort, and money. KiteWorks MFT makes it easy for users to send automated or ad hoc files via fully integrated shared folders and email. Administrators can manage policies in a unified console and create custom integrations using their API. Did we mention it's secure? The level of security with KiteWorks solution is rare to find. Step into the future of secure managed file transfer with KiteWorks. Visit KiteWorks.com to get started. That's K-I-T-E-W-O-R-K-S dot com. Okay, let's move forward then. So you've got your MVP. uh, It's working. How have you progressed the product from there and matured it? And I think to wrap it in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how did you build your roadmap? And how did you go about deciding, like, this is the next most important thing to build or to address with Shipyard? Our roadmap was entirely prioritized based on the types of external conversations that we were having. So if we had a sales call and we were getting a lot of no's for the same reason, it was something that we had to look at and say, okay, this seems like it is going to be a necessary feature in order to combat those no's on the sales calls and ultimately be able to turn this conversation into a win for us. That was one area. The other area is just frankly talking to people in the space and talking to users that were actively using our product and figuring out what were they missing what did they really want uh, along the way and so those two things that i mentioned for the the mvp were two of the areas that we realized we had to try and address earlier on making sure that there was some sort of visual way to be able to connect everything together because that was difficult for people to understand or think about intuitively because you couldn't see the connections. You just had to know in the back of your mind what was kicking off each next job. And the other thing was those those templates. I would say that was one of the biggest wins on our side of trying to figure out, okay, people are being dumped in, but they don't know exactly where to start. And we continuously hear that they want to try and accomplish these very specific objectives. How can we give them templates to where they can accomplish those objectives without having to write any code coming into the platform? And so we started on that journey of building out what today we have well over 150 low-code templates for people to start with. But it all came from that feedback that we got on sales conversations and just talking to users and talking to other data engineers in the space and figuring out what they were struggling with. I hear you saying we. How did you go about building your team? And what did you look for in those people to indicate that they were the winning horses to join you? For the team, we started growing things by looking for people that were... A, very interested in the startup landscape, and they had a a level of drive to try and achieve more and uh, be able to grow at a company. Uh, But B, we wanted people that really had a wide variety of backgrounds. We like people that have worked in different sort of spheres and maybe even have career changes because ultimately it's people that can bring different experiences to the table that can help us figure out how we need to innovate or move things forward. This episode is sponsored by Cashfly. The web is a competitive place, and if your site delivers its content pixelated, slow, or not at all, well, then you lose. But that's where Cashfly comes in. Cashfly delivers rich media content up to 159% faster than other major CDNs. Through ultra-low latency streaming, lightning-fast gaming, and optimized mobile content, the company offers a variety of benefits. 
For over 20 years, Cashfly has held a track record for high-performing, ultra-reliable content delivery. While competitors call themselves fast or use cute animal names, only Cashfly holds the record of being the fastest and serves customers like Adobe, the NFL, or Roblox, where content is created by users and must be delivered in real time. For the first time ever, Code Story listeners can get a 5-terabyte CDN for free. Yep, you heard that right, free. Learn more at cashfly.com slash codestory. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com slash codestory. Hello, welcome to the Data Analytics Club. Do you know the password? No, I didn't know there was one. Do you know how to code? Uh, no. Do you know how to query data? Like, ask a question? I guess not. Hmm, I see. Then you can't be in this club. Sorry, goodbye. Don't be left out of the analytics club. ClearQuery is the Analytics for Humans platform. With their full suite of features, you can go from data ingestion to automated insights seamlessly. ClearQuery provides you with the information you need without requiring you to do the heavy lifting. Their Ask ClearQuery feature allows you to ask questions in plain English, helping you find relationships and connections in your data that may have previously gone unnoticed. You can even visualize your data with presentation mode, taking your data storytelling to the next level. Pricing is based on storage, not licenses, and that ensures that you get the most bang for your buck. Don't miss the opportunity to simplify data analytics, your data analytics, with ClearQuery. Get started today at clearquery.io slash codestory. Let's flip to scalability. And this will be interesting given what you're building or you know what you've built and and I'm curious how scalability fit into your thought process. Did you build it to scale efficiently from day one or with like, you know, abstractions or scale in mind? Or have you been finding this as you grow and gain traction? I think everyone tries to build for a certain level of scale that you expect, but there's always going to be new things that come up that ultimately change your perspective in terms of how you need to scale. At the end of the day, like our promise to customers is that because their workflows are running on our infrastructure, they don't have to worry about setting that up. They don't have to worry about it scaling. That's on us to figure out. And so it's been baked into our kind of core philosophy of how we build the product that we need to make sure that it can scale up and down effectively, that you can run tens of jobs or thousands of jobs and they can run simultaneously and we're not going to break a sweat on our side. What we have found over time is that there's ways that we have to figure out how can we scale that more efficiently? How can we take some jobs and run them on less powerful infrastructure? And how do we make sure that the jobs that need it the most are able to uh, scale that way? And how, when we don't know what something is going to do on a schedule, when people are triggering their jobs via the API or via webhooks, how do we make sure that we can handle that influx of demand of all of a sudden thousands of jobs appearing? And so those are things that have evolved over time as we've designed new features that open up new use cases for our users. But ultimately, we did design things at the very beginning to make sure that we could scale effectively since that was one of the promises that we were able to make to our customers. So as you step out on the balcony, you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? I'm really proud of the fact that we have built something that is 
truly valuable at the organizations that are using us and it's something that I myself could go out and use ultimately you are trying to build something that you hope can solve a problem that you have it's much easier to run a business when it's something that is near and dear to you and something that you have a little bit more uh, knowledge about. And so for me, being able to build up a team and being able to build a product that is truly driving value and I know that I would want to use on my own and it has a level of stickiness where you can see people continue using it years down the road, even those people that were with us in the early MVP days, that's ultimately what I'm super proud of. Okay, let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. Back in 2021, we were trying to figure out how can we potentially incorporate AI into our platform more. And we came up with the idea that we called internally words to workflows. The general idea was that you could describe what type of workflow you wanted to build, and then we would be able to parse that and just make the workflow magically appear in our platform. And we ultimately got something to work, but we ended up building out a shell so you could describe something like i want to download my data from snowflake transform it to look this specific way and then send it to the sales team on slack every day at 5 p.m and we'd be able to make sure that you could build those tasks in order but you'd still have to fill out the details along the way and not only would you have to fill out the details but Sometimes you'd have to reorder things because maybe it didn't get it in the right order. It didn't choose the right template. And what we found the further and further we got into this was that it just wasn't right enough. And our platform had become so easy to use from a drag and drop perspective that we were effectively only saving clients maybe 30 seconds of time whenever they were building their workflows. And outside of that, they were still having to do the same manual labor of filling out each of the individual inputs. And we probably spent a solid three to six months of effort trying to build out this thing because I believe that it was going to change the way that people built workflows. AI was going to be the future of how you did this sort of stuff. I still think that's true, but I think a lot of people look at the space as if you are able to provide a single input and get this perfect output. And what I recognize is that you have to figure out how to allow someone to build things in chunks and have the ability to say, oh, no, that's wrong. Can you slightly tweak it in this one way? And because we just looked at stuff from describe what you want and see it in a peer, we weren't able to get the types of results that we wanted uh, from that. And we ended up having a bunch of engineering time going into a feature that ultimately we never ended up releasing. We showed it publicly in a few places and it got a little bit of buzz, but ultimately it didn't pan out for us. And I'd say that's a fairly big mistake of investment of effort on our side, but it also taught us some things that we're using to go forward in terms of figuring out how we can best work with AI. This will be fun, Blake. What does the future look like for the product and for your team? The future for Shipyard is really twofold. Um, We're heavily focused on trying to build out enterprise-level features, uh, making sure that we have all the level of security and access control and uh, that we have ourselves buttoned up from a compliance perspective so that some of the largest partners that choose to work with us are able to feel secure 
putting their data into our system. That's one area that we'll continue to invest in is going to take up a lot of our time. But on the other side, we're really invested in trying to make sure that the platform is as easy to use as possible. We claim that you can build a data workflow in our product in less than five minutes, and still that is too slow for me. I want to try and figure out how we can get people to a state where they can just rapid fire, say, I use these tools, here's how I want the data to be delivered, and have it set up in just a few minutes. And so things there look like maybe a one-click deploy, once you search solutions, being able to click a button and then just fill out the details. Maybe it is working directly with AI, to be able to build like the functional components. Maybe it's filling out something conversationally. We're not exactly sure where that's going to lead, but it is a driving force for us trying to figure out how can you just simplify it as much as possible. So it's not just the data engineers that can build out these data workflows, that it's business users that feel totally comfortable being able to grab data from their systems, deliver it wherever they need to, or being able to take some sort of action on the data's behalf. Okay, let's switch to you, Blake. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. It's an interesting question because as I grew up, I've never really had a icon or a figure that I just model myself after completely. I, like, There's clearly going to be uh, influences and inspirations along the way. Wade Foster over at Zapier. Um, they're doing a lot of things in the workflow space for business users that I really admire. But even before I was doing Shipyard, he was one of the people that was leading the remote first workforce. And that's how we've built things at Shipyard. And I always respected companies that were doing that and looked into how they saw the future of work happening and how they built out remote influences as best as possible. An influence for me would be one of the presidents at our sister company, Cody. His name is Nicholas Ward, and he does a fantastic job at just asking open-ended questions uh, of people continuously to help them kind of problem solve on their own. Uh, it's something that I find to be very inspiring, and it's something that makes you work harder <laughs> to try and figure out how you can solve a problem. And uh, hearing from people like him and figuring out how you can be a better leader there is ultimately something that drives me forward. Okay, we talked about a mistake earlier, but this is a little different spin. If you could go back to the beginning, what would you do different? Or where would you consider taking a different approach? Doesn't have to be, you know, something that went wrong. Could have went right and could have went really well, but maybe you'd tweak it a little bit. Truthfully, I think I would go back and while the workflow platform itself is still a very strong idea, there's too many things that you can do with a workflow platform. And so I would really try and focus in on a single use case that we saw again and really try and go after that. So it could be something like reporting automation of being able to grab reports continuously and deliver them to some sort of notification platform. Or it could have been something like what is now in the space called reverse CTL of taking data from your warehouse and then sending it to your SaaS tools like HubSpot or Salesforce. I'd say that early on, it probably would have benefited us more to really hunker down on a single use case, maybe even for a specific industry to try and make sure that we could narrow that focus. We're still in a good spot and ultimately building what we've built means that people can expand their use cases continuously. But it is something that's harder initially to help people understand specifically what they can accomplish when they first come onto the platform. Last question, Blake. So you're getting on a plane. 
and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world and can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person having gone down this road a bit? I think the advice that I would give in that sort of situation is not related to the product itself, not related to the idea. It's more about the internal struggle that they will likely go through, the ups and downs that you will have along the journey, about feeling like you're doing everything you can and something is not working out. And then the next week having something just completely work out and feeling great about it. I think oftentimes it's easy as an entrepreneur to beat yourself up and think that you could be doing better or more or different and wondering why something isn't working out in the moment. And I think a lot of times it takes a level of maturity of just sitting back and realizing that this will pass. I'm doing the best I can. (laughs) We'll figure out another way to make this work and not letting it affect you so much emotionally. And that's easier said than done. And I think everyone has to go through the experience. But ultimately, I think it's easy to beat yourself up a lot in the early days. And I would encourage that person to make sure that they know if you really believe in this idea, keep pushing it forward. But don't let yourself get down just because some things go wrong. That's going to happen. That's fantastic advice. Well, Blake, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you for telling the creation story of Shipyard. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again for having me, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big.